I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay, so uh, I just returned from a trip with my daughter to New York City. Uh, so I did a podcast on this last year. Um, so Rachel and I, for the second year, went to Broadway Con. Um, so for those uh, who might be old-time listeners of the podcast, uh, Rachel is my oldest daughter. Uh, she is off in college in Chicago right now studying theater. Uh, and so something we did last year that we did again this year is there is an event in New York City called BroadwayCon, which is a convention dedicated to Broadway. Um, anyway, we had a real good time last year. I did a podcast all about it last year. We went again, another podcast. So one of the things, uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is, uh, the people who listen to me all the time probably know this. I'm very holistic. I believe that things all connect together. Um, that a lot of big breakthroughs in creativity come from learning things from different areas and then applying them to your area. So I, one of the things, the, the way I, the sort of the, the way we'll, I always look at Broadway Con from a, from a podcast standpoint is to talk about what I learned, uh, how will it affect magic is sort of my take. It's like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to learn things about something that isn't magic, but how can I apply, apply a lot of that? Um, now, it's important to understand, I think I mentioned this last year, um, I grew up a theater, a, a, a theater kid, I did a lot of plays, I listened to a, a lot of musicals, um, it's, it's something my daughter and I share, a, a love of theater. Um, so I, it's a lot of fun to go. Um, okay, so this year, we decided to make one small change from last year. Uh, this year, we went a day early uh, so that we could go see a play on Broadway. We're going, we're going to Broadway Con. We didn't see, last year we didn't see a play. So this year we decided to go a day early. Um, and then as a sort of her big Hanukkah gift, uh, we told Rachel we would, you know, I would take her to a Broadway play of her choice. So uh, she had all sorts of options. Uh, so she ended up choosing Beetlejuice. So real quickly, for those that don't know this, uh, they adapted the movie by Tim Burton into a play, a musical. Um, it is a very interesting... One of the things as, a, as an artist that's interesting to me is... It is, while clearly you can see the influence, there are elements of the story from the movie in the play, but the play is really its own story. It really, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, there's overlapping of characters. I mean, there, it is not that you can't get the source material, but they really reinvented it and made it something that was uniquely its own thing as a play. Um, and uh, it stars... Uh, uh, Alex Brightman as Beetlejuice. Uh, I'll get to him in a second. He's, I see him on a panel later on in this thing. Um, anyway, it was... Rachel had chosen it. Um, so the, one of the funny things is that before I see a musical, I want to know the music. And Rachel wants to like experience it for the first time in the moment. So I got the Broadway album and I was listening to it nonstop so I could learn all the songs. Super catchy, a lot of fun. Uh, if you guys like musicals and have never listened to Beetlejuice, I heartily recommend it. Uh, the music and lyrics are great. It's a lot of fun. Um, and the other interesting thing was, um, it's not often that I get to listen to a cast album where I didn't go to get to see that exact cast perform it. Um, I've not, I mean, I, I have, I think technically, uh, when I was a kid, my parents took me to see Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, I believe. Um, but I've not seen a lot of Broadway plays on Broadway. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of Broadway albums and stuff, but... Um, so anyway, this is the first time where I got to see a Broadway show in which I'd listened to the album and the cast from the album was the ones performing it. So that was actually quite cool. Um, but anyway, so we did that. We saw that, saw Beetlejuice. And, um, 
one of the things that my takeaway from Beetlejuice, I'll my little magic element here, is one of the things that's very interesting is um, one of the tensions whenever we re- revisit a world is how much are we capturing of the original thing and how much are we making it something of its own. Um, now, this, it's a little bit different from, from adapting a play from a movie, but it is interesting in watching and seeing how they made real effort to you know, definitely have things pulled from the movie where you just, you know, and some of it was lines they said or props or, you know, like, you know, there's a piece of art in the movie that in the movie comes alive and becomes something. And it's just, it's a piece in the play that makes, that gets used, but in a different context. But you recognize, you're like, oh, it's that piece. I recognize that from the movie. There's a lot of, of, of that recognition. And I think when you're making, when you're doing a return, there's a gentle balance between wanting to have enough recognition that it feels like the world, that you're delivering on what people expect, um, but enough new things that it feels like that it's not just, you know, that there, there's something about it that it has a life of its own. Um, like Ferris Beyond Death, for example, a, a fine example right now, is um, it's a set in which, look, we're referencing Theros. There's a bunch of mechanics from Theros. Although, to note, like the two big mechanics that are returning, Devotion and um, Constellation, you know, Devotion was at its strongest in Theros and got weaker as the set. I, like I, I think Journey to Nyx, um, only the gods, I think, had Devotion. There wasn't much Devotion in Journey to Nyx. A little bit, but not a lot. And meanwhile, Constellation only exists in the Journey to Nyx. So, for example, we brought back two different things, but those two things had not really coexisted in any large amount. Um, so, you know, it, it was neat to sort of say, hey, look, here's gods, here's devotion, here's Constellation. You know, we have a few cards that nodded at heroic. You know, we, we definitely did things that nodded at things that you might recognize from before, but we put them in a different context. We added in the underworld and escape, and, you know, there's a whole element that wasn't there before. So, uh, yeah, I feel like it both is sort of living up to the original and making you feel like, oh, this is Theros, but inventing itself and doing new things with it. And that's something that, um, like, my takeaway from, from Beetlejuice was they did such a good job of um, feeling like, yes, this is Beetlejuice. Yes, I recognize elements of Beetlejuice. This is not some brand new thing. But it had its own energy, and just the way the characters were done, it really had a sensibility about it that is different, that felt like its own thing. Uh, and I, I, that is something that I, like I said, I, I hope Theros, I hope Theros has the same response, I, so far looking pretty good, um, that like Beetlejuice had for me, where it definitely feels like, okay, it's Beetlejuice, but not the Beetlejuice I know exactly. It's, it's a little bit different. Um, okay, so... Starting Friday. So the, the convention... So for those who don't know, I mean, if you didn't listen to my, my Broadway Con uh, po- podcast last year, it's a smaller convention. Um, you know, I'm used to going to, like, San Diego Comic-Con where you have, you know, 125,000 people there. Um, this is a much smaller convention. Uh, there is stuff they do. There's a giant ballroom they do some stuff, and that's where they tend to put the, the stars and things, the things that draw more people. And then there's a lot of panels that are off in little rooms, and... Those panels, you could always get a seat. You know, it's a small enough convention that, like, um, like for example, a lot of the conventions I go to, like, you have to go get in line ahead of time, and you might not even get in if you don't get ahead of time in line. Um, we're here. There was nothing. And even the giant ballrooms, you could always walk in. Maybe you get a seat near the back. Maybe you're not getting a seat up front. But there's no such thing as a... Um, 
a panel or something that you couldn't get into, which is a sign of a smaller thing. Uh, having having uh, sat in many lines, uh, it, it, it's kind of I, I kind of like it. It's it, it's, it's kind of nice in the. Um, it's fun as someone who's done a lot of conventions. To, this is like the, this was the fifth Broadway con, so it's re- it's really really fun to sort of get to experience something at, at a, a younger stage. Um, and so I, I definitely it was something I enjoyed quite a bit. Okay, so the first thing we had done is Rachel. Like I said, she's studying theater, uh, and so one of the things that she's really thinking about now, uh, she's a sophomore, is what is she doing when she gets out of school? You know, what is she doing? So. One of the big things is she really was interested in getting a better sense of some of the business and, you know, understanding different aspects of, of theater. So she had asked if we could do, on Friday, there was a thing called Industry Day, which was, it was a little more money, but it was um, something more geared toward people who work on Broadway rather than just fans of Broadway. A lot of the later panels I'll talk about were very much geared toward fans of Broadway. This was geared toward people working on Broadway. Uh, and so Industry Day was six panels. It was, I think it started at nine and went to one. Um, so I'm going to talk, talk briefly on some of these. And uh, I have a lot of panels to get through because we saw a lot of stuff. So I'm going to buzz through a few of these. I'm going to hit the ones that uh, there's a little more something to say about. Not that these weren't all good panels. If I, if I breeze by a panel, it's more that just, it, it didn't inspire me to say a particular thing. That's all. Um, okay, so there were six panels for Industry Day. First was a thing called Culture Clash, where they brought a woman from England named Dr. Kristen Sedgman, uh, and she had written a book talking about uh, the theater experience and how people perceive theater. Um, and one of the ideas that's very interesting is um, when you ask people what is theater supposed to be and what do you expect of a theater environment, meaning, uh, you know, what, what is the etiquette that you expect of a theater? Um, one of the things that she was talking about, and, and she had done a lot of research on it, was one of so one of the problems with that. I mean, from a business standpoint, that Broadway is dealing with is the main audience of Broadway. I believe are middle-aged and older um, professional white women are the core audience of Broadway, um, and one of the things that the the business is always trying to do is they want to expand, right? They want to appeal to more people. They want to appeal to younger people. They want to appeal to a wider demographic of people. Um, and one of the things that she was talking about is that one of the biggest stumbling blocks right now to that is just kind of a lot of the behavior that is sort of expected in theater is very geared toward a certain audience. Um, And part of what she was trying to say is if Broadway wants to expand its inclusivity, they have to sort of look at a lot of things about themselves. One of the big things is sort of what is expected of the audience and understand that certain expectations push you in certain directions. Um, and this was, so for me, for Magic, one of the things that we're always thinking about is there's a core Magic audience. Um, we love our core Magic audience. Obviously, we, we want to continue making them happy. Um, but we're also trying to branch out ourselves, right? One of the things about Magic that one of our goals is, you know, I, I, love, I love the audience we have. 
and once again, no way do I want to get rid of the audience that we have, but I would love for Magic to keep expanding out to more audiences. Um, and from a business standpoint for us, like, hey, we want as many people playing Magic as possible. And my whole take is, as the head designer is, Magic is an awesome, awesome game. I, I, I believe the best game ever. I, Magic is an amazing game. Um, and I would love to expose that game to more people. I, I think that, I think a lot of people get intimidated by it because when you first hear about it, it's like, oh, it's a game 27 years old with 20,000 cards and it's complicated. You know, all the stuff that really is intimidating. Uh, but what I find is when you get people to actually sit down and play it, and I've taught a lot of people um, that one of them, like, when I teach people who have no idea what magic is and I'm teaching them for the first time, one of the things that I find very interesting is one of, like, the surprises I always get is I'm going, this is fun. Like, yeah, yes, it is fun. It's a fun game. Um, I think people get so intimidated that when they actually sit down and do it that they, when they get caught up in the game itself. Like, wow, this is a really fun game. Um, and that's one thing is to always remember is I, I, I don't think, I mean, Magic has a certain complication to it. And obviously there's an audience that it's just more complicated than Magic, that it's more complicated than the audience wants. But the core of Magic, the basic part of Magic is not that complicated. Yeah, 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 when you start adding in lots of rules and lots of cards and it can get quite complicated. But the basic rules, when I teach somebody to play with just a, a basic deck and stuff, it's, it's the core of the game is actually not, not nearly as complicated as people think it is. Um, and one of the things that really, when I listen to this panel, that really hit to home for me is, hey, part of bringing in other audiences is understanding the environment that you have and that you want to make sure that your current audience is inviting of future audiences. And, you know, that anyway, it really hit home to me. I, I listened to her talk about, about Broadway and, and what they want. And um, it's funny, one, one of Rachel's big pet peeves uh, as a, someone studying uh, theater is that uh, she really feels Broadway could be uh, more, more inclusive of more people, like, geographically. Um, and that... Broadway is very, very concentrated in thinking about who, who like, butts and seats. And, but there are, are a lot of audiences that appreciate Broadway that are fans of Broadway that don't live in New York, some of which never travel to New York. And one, one, I think one of Rachel's passions is the idea of how do you bring theater to everybody? Anyway, sorry, going off my... Um, okay, next was the evolving role of critics in theater. Um, they had, I think, Jesse Green and Helen Shaw were two critics... Uh, I think Jesse Green's of the New York Times, and Helen Shaw was of uh, the New Yorker, I think, and um, it's one other magazine that I'm, I'm blanking on. Um, but anyway, they were critics, and they were, the the panel was all about talking about what role criticism plays. What what's the role of critics? And the the thing that to me is interesting is one of the things about magic criticism, and I've made this comment before, is. I would love to see more people analyzing magic on more vectors. Like, for example, if you want to know the power level of the cards or what to draft, yeah, 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 there's, there's a lot of people going through sets and saying, this is a strong card, this is a weak card, great. The, the thing that I, I would love to see more of is people sort of analyzing it in larger contexts. Like one of the things that criticism does very well, and they talked a lot about in this panel, was um, the role of how the critic can put context to what's going on I would love people that have some historical sense of magic design and talk about what are we doing for the first time or how is this mixing things in ways you haven't seen before. Like, I would love some more analytical stuff 
you know, giving some sort of context to what's going on and what the design is doing. Um, but anyway. Uh, next, advertising's role in audience development. Uh, Sandy Block, Kara Carruthers, Maria Martinez, Jamal Parham, Eric Pipenberg, and Alitha, Alitha, sorry, Alitha Stevens. I said your name wrong. I apologize. Um, so what they did is they had a lot of people from a lot of different ad uh, companies talking about um, how does advertising help with getting an audience. And so one of the big things about Broadway is um, market, advertising and marketing is really important. And I'll, 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 there's a really good panel I will get to a little later talking about marketing. Um, but the, the big thing here was making, this panel was making the point of how you market impacts your audience. And that's something we think about all the time, which is we want to make magic a better game for, you know, we, we want more people playing. And part of that is where do you advertise? How do you market? Where do you go? You know, part of getting a new audience is just getting to the point where the audience is. Like, yeah, yeah, we can go to, uh, you know, the places our community hangs out. We can talk on our website or, you know, we can advertise. And But, I mean, and that lets us talk to the existing community, which is great. Um, but we're also looking how do we expand beyond that. Um, so uh, next was new stories equal new audiences. Uh, Kevin McCollum is a producer uh, that's been involved in all sorts of things. I, I, I did not write down his... I know he was involved in Rent and I think in Avenue Q and... Um, a, whole, a whole bunch. I mean, his, his resume was crazy and impressive. I'm, I feel bad. I can't remember everything that he had done. Um, but one of the things that he really stressed was that he had been the champion of new voices. That he really is somebody who's going out there and trying to find other people who have something to say that we haven't heard from before. And he really, he's kind of known for taking a lot of risks. Although, interestingly, he's been very successful. Um, and my takeaway from there is the idea that... Um, that risks and success, like the idea that the safe thing to do is not to, is, is do non-risky things, I think is a, is a false idea. Like, as in my job, uh, you know, my job is to, is to take risks. That part of what makes magic exciting is that we're, we're doing stuff and we're doing stuff we haven't done before. I mean, we're also returning things and doing things we have done before, but, you know, that... For example, I mean, I just take Throne of Eldraine as a good example, which was, I really, really believed in this idea of doing a fairy tale set. Um, and the problem, that, you know, the, the feedback I got all the time was, um, you know, does our audience want that? And I said, A, I, yes, I think they did, but B, it also expanded our audience. You know, we're trying to find new audiences. And I, I think that there's a lot of people, like, one of the things to me about fairy tales is they're fantasy. You know, when, when magic is looking at more things, more top-down spaces to play in, well, we should be playing in, like, yes, yes, we can stretch beyond fantasy. You know, Innistrad's touching in horror and stuff. But um, why not play, like, it, it, essentially it's in our own backyard. Like, fairy tales are playing in, now given it's high fantasy, it's a little different from, you know, uh, we do do high fantasy. But it, it's, a, it, it's a certain area that we don't do all the time, but we can do. Um, and... There's a lot of people that really were saying, look, why, why take risks in this area? And then, whatever, go through my whole thing of pushing double-faced cards or split cards or hybrid mana or, you know, making the Ravnica structure where only four of the ten guilds exist in the set. Whatever it is, whatever I'm trying to push, you know, Zendikar was a land-focused set. I mean, there's, 
all sorts of things where um, a lot of the successes I had came from me saying, you know what, I'm not going to sit in my laurels. We're going to do different things. We're going to do things we haven't done before. Um, and the, the, watching this interview really sort of hit home in that, you know, I, I, I kind of want to be the magic, but this guy has been to Broadway, which is being, finding the, you know, finding the new, and also this new voices is, I'm always looking to find new designers. That's why I love doing the great designer search. You know, I, I'm, my idea is, if someone has a good idea, I don't care who they are. Your, your job, you know, like if somebody, for example, works in another section of the company, but it gives me a good idea because they're logic because they work at, at Wizards, um, and it's a great idea. I won't, you know, I embrace good ideas, and no matter where they come from, because good ideas are good ideas. Um, but anyway, this, this interview really hit home for me uh, as far as some of the things I already value importance. Um, next, create so there's creativity, environment, and the fan. And then there's a, uh, one called The Future of Storytelling. Um, so those are the last two panels. Uh, they both got into talking about how do we tell different stories and how do we embrace technology. And, um, you know, one, one of the things that's really interesting for me is how do you make a magic set? Part of that is stuff like are there new ways to do things we haven't done before? Are there new technologies to use? One of the things you'll see in the future is as printing, for example, as printing technology changes and gives us more options for what we are able to do, it has really opened up the doors for us to experiment and try new things. And a lot of the fun of exploring new spaces is embracing new technology. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of things on the cutting edge. Um, some of them will take a little while to get to, but there's a lot of really cool things that we're either just able to do or we'll be able to do soon, soon in quotes, um, that I think really will be game changers in how, how magic is. Okay. Uh, after the industry day, we continued on. So the next panel we went to, which was not industry, was called Beyond Broadway, The Pleasures and Promise of Musical Theater Across America. So uh, there was a woman named Stacey Wolf who wrote a book, named, named this, uh, and she was talking about her trips across America, sort of looking at um, musical theater, not just professionally on Broadway, but, you know, a lot of, the vast, vast majority of musical theater is done by schools and by community theaters, and that... You know, while shows might begin on Broadway, they, they go on and, and they do a lot. Uh, they really sort of live on around the world. You know, the Broadway just sort of starts things. Um, and she talked a lot. There's, a, there's a, what's called a junior program. Um, the people that, that sell scripts, uh, I think it's, I'm blanking on what it stands for. I think it's MTI, um, uh, Musical Feed or something. Uh, the idea is they do the thing called this junior program where they take famous plays and they make our versions of them. Uh, they make half-hour versions and hour versions. Half-hour versions are for elementary school. Hour versions are more like for junior high. And the idea is take a famous play and just condense it down a little bit so you get the essence of the play, but a little lighter and shorter so younger audiences could perform it. Um, and one of the things that's really interesting that she talked a lot about was how many people get touched by musical theater. Um, and how, and like I said, I, growing up, you know, I, uh, I did a whole bunch of mu you know, musicals, whether it was in high school or I also, um, the, uh, the Cleveland Playhouse was when I grew up, uh, I used to do stuff at the Cleveland Playhouse. You know, there's a lot of different things going on and that the, the imbuing of music and how it, it enhances things. And the thing that really makes me think too for magic is the idea of how, I think it's very easy to get caught up in like the pro tour and sort of high-end premiere play, but a lot of what magic is isn't just premiere play. It is the um, 
kitchen table play and the casual play. And so I really, you know, it, it was important to me to really reckon, like realize that just like, yes, the Pro Tour might be where we were decks get premiered or something, but there's really a lot of the casual play that's where the vast majority of play happens. Like, the premiere play is this tiny, 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 it gets a lot of attention, but it's a tiny bucket in the overall experience. And just being aware that the overall experience of Magic really is, when you, when, you know, if I took a trip around the, the States to write my book, uh, it's really talking about all the different kinds of play and where it all happens. Okay, next was my favorite Broadway ad campaign. So, Aaliyah, I, 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 I keep interrupting her name, Aaliyah Stevens, who I talked about earlier, Ann Gordon, Jamie Chu, Dante Gianetta, Callie Goff, Brian Dratch, and Julie Bortz. Um, these were all people that worked for a company called Spotco. So Spotco is an advertising company that specializes in Broadway musicals. And what they did is each member talked about the area they worked in and then an ad campaign that they were very proud of. Um, and I won't get on the details here just because I, I have a lot of things to talk about. But it was really, really neat to see how they embraced their marketing and their advertising and you know whether it's letting Audrey Two, the plant from Little Shop of Horrors, have his own Twitter, or you know, doing a, a giant uh, day for Mean Girls where Tina Fey was serving um, uh, cheese fries, or you know, figuring out a way where they can cross-promote Beetlejuice with different um, restaurants across the city so people are all offering Beetlejuice-themed things in their restaurant. Um, but anyway, it was really fascinating. Um, I, know, I know Rachel, I think this might have been Rachel's favorite panel, um, just watching how they imbued all the, um, how the advertising really brought things to life and really brought the themes to life. And it really hammered home to me about all the marketing we do and all the, the like, I make the sets. I'm not, the, I'm not the person in charge of marketing, but I work with our marketing people. And it is neat to see the same kind of thing of how marketing can really take, can take what we've done and, and make it shine even more. And it just really reinforced the importance of marketing. So, go marketing team. Next, expanding Broadway's impact, education outreach programs. Yvette Kojic, Olivia Atlas, Sean Tesson, Alexandra Santiago Juru, Lisa Mitchell, and Kaylee McAllister. So this was all about uh, people who worked on things of using theater as a means as education. Um, very interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, the... One of the things that magic does is we like to use magic where we can for education. We like to work with education. There are a lot of magic clubs and a lot of stuff done in schools. And the one nice thing about magic is there's a lot of skills in magic that are very valuable skills to learn, whether it's comprehension, whether it's uh, uh, strategic thinking, vocabulary. You know, there's a lot of things that you can learn from magic. And there's a lot of teachers that really use magic in cool and interesting ways. And we try to promote that whenever we can. Okay, and then the last thing on Friday was called BroadwayCon Jukebox. That is where they got Broadway stars up on, on stage. The star gave three or four choices for a song. We, the audience, through voting, got to pick it, and then they sang it. Um, uh, the thing I liked about that is the fact that we could vote from our seats uh, on our phone. So it, I'm always on the lookout for how to em enhance magic through digital means. And I, th I think that's really important. And I, I definitely... It's something I'm always thinking about. I mean... Uh, it adds an extra element to the game in a way that I think is cool. Okay, next, Saturday. So Saturday, what is immersive? So Anthony Logan Cole, James Stewart, Whitney Sprayberry, Edward uh, Milecrest, Devin Compton, and Kelly Bartnick. Um, so there's a thing called uh, immersive theater 
where the idea is rather than you, the audience, sit in a seat separate from the actors, what do call it, proscenium stage, um, you, you, the audience, are, have some ability to interact with, with the experience in a way that's very different. So, for example, you might be able to walk around through a house and there's actors in the house that are acting, that there's a story being told, but you, the audience, get to interact with them and get to sort of choose where you go. Um, and there's two different types of immersive theater, they explained. One is what's called sandbox, where it's kind of like, we've invented this world, you go explore it however you want to, and you can see whatever aspects you want to see of it. And then there's one where they call, what's the other one called? It's called Dark something. Dark Track? Ah, I don't remember the name exactly. But the idea is... Whether you're aware of it or not, there's a, pro- a progressive story that you're sort of pulled along with. And either subtly or not so subtly, they're making sure that you see things in a certain order. Um, anyway, it was very interesting. Uh, like, one of the things that it reminded me of is... One of the things about magic is uh, sort of formats. Is how do you play magic? What is magic? And, like, even taking something like Commander, which obviously is the rage right now... Like, there's a lot of things about Commander that are very different. You know, there's a social aspect to it. There is, you know... Like Magic, for the longest time, most people played two-player. It was one-on-one, and all of a sudden, now here's this really large format that's not about one-on-one. I mean, you can't play one-on-one, but it's more about playing three, four, you know, more people in, in, in it, and all the interactions of the people, and the, the, the social capital. And there, there's a lot... It, it's interesting to see as I look at sort of how magic is changing um, the same way that you look at theater is like theater can be so much magic can be so much and I'm, I'm always excited to watch people play and experiment with magic and that one of the cool things about magic is that it is, it's flexibility lets you the audience sort of reshape it and make it what you want and so I, I am it really made me realize that there's a lot like I, I think there's a lot of cool opportunities in magic that stretch beyond the normal traditions of what magic has been and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that stuff happen. Okay. Uh, then the next one. So then Rachel and I broke up uh, for one panel. She watched a panel called The First Pitch, where it was an advertising agency talking about um, uh, how they... Like, I think they came up with the Broadway musical on the spot and then walked through the process of what they would do to advertise it, which Rachel was fascinated by. I think Rachel is very interested in... Um, the advertising aspect of and the marketing aspect of theater. I went and saw Beetlejuice. So uh, Alex Brightman plays Beetlejuice, Carrie Butler who plays Barbara, and Leslie Christopher who plays Delilah, or Delia, De- sorry, Delia. Um, those are three of the actors. And then Jenny Gerson was as a producer on it, and Kelly Goff uh, from Spot, who I mentioned earlier, she does their advertising, or was in charge of their advertising. Uh, anyway, they were on stage talking all about Beetlejuice. Uh, and I just seen, uh, you know, two nights earlier, I just seen the show, and I was very familiar with the music. And anyway, it was really fun. They talked all about putting it on and what's it like putting on a show that that owes something to another source, but you want to make it your own. Um, so a lot of the things that I talked about before that Beetlejuice really brought out in me, it was neat seeing other people tackle with those things. Um, another thing that is is similar is when we decided to do a top down on a real world source that we both like. We're doing Greek mythology. We both want to be true enough to Greek mythology that you can see the Greek mythology in it, but we want it to be enough our own that it's not just Greek mythology, you know? And um, that was an interesting thing to think about of watching sort of like, okay, well, you know, what do we borrow and what do we make up of our own? And I love the idea, like, Theris is a good example where 
I liked the idea that we took a lot of the pantheon sort of structure of Greek mythology, but we put it through the lens of the color pie, which is very much a magic thing. And so the idea of gods that represent ideals of colors was a, was a really cool thing that I, I, I think was very neat. Anyway, this was a lot of fun. Um, this was one of those ones in the, in, in the main ballroom, so there's a lot, a lot of people. Beetlejuice is a very uh, popular show. Yeah, one of the big controversies, by the way, on Broadway is Beetlejuice took a little while, I guess, to warm up. Um, but now it's doing really well, selling out every night. And during the early slow period, they, I guess, booked another f- play in the theater, which is they're doing a revival of Music Man with Hugh Jackman and Son Foster. And anyway, they're clo- Beetlejuice is closing uh, June 6th, I think. And it's in a weird spot. It's selling out every night. It's making money. Like normally shows don't close when they're doing really well. Um, and so there's all this hubbub of can Beetlejuice find a new home? And anyway, I hope, I hope they do. Like I said, I was really impressed with the show, so I do hope they find a new home. It was, um, and the other thing that oh, the other thing they did at the Beetlejuice panel is they showed off a lot of the fan stuff, fan art and fan videos, and yeah, Beetlejuice is all over TikTok. And anyway, it also made me realize a lot of the enjoyment for me of watching. They talked about how much they enjoyed watching the fans participate and get involved, and I, I feel the same way. Like I love when I see fan art or, or things where. Clearly, the audience is showing their love of stuff that we've made, and that is really touching. Okay, next, directing on Broadway. Uh, Ruthie Fireberg was uh, moderated, I believe. Kenny Leone, Kathleen Marshall, Jeff Calhoun, Tyne Raffelli, and Sammy Kennels. I hope I didn't mingle any of those names too badly. Uh, these were professional directors, uh, people who direct on Broadway. Rachel, um, if Rachel could pick her future, she would love to direct. I know that's a hard thing. That's why she's looking at multiple things within theater. But uh, directing is her passion. She loves directing. Um, and so it's interesting watching perfect, these are professional directors and talking about what it means to be a director. And one of the things that really was interesting to them was this theme that came through, that this whole thing was how you have to direct something that speaks to you. That they, they, Before they, any, they'll do a play, there has to be something about the play that they can do something that they would do, that not something else would do, but, but it speaks to them. Um, and it's interesting to me, for example, when doing magic sets, there's a similar sense of I have to always find what in the set is something that I could do, that's something really that, you know, that I, part of, of being a, a head designer or a lead designer of a set is trying to find that essence of bringing to life something in a way that you could bring it to life. Like one of the things I love having different lead designers in different sets is that different people can bring to the fore what they, you know, what, what matters to them. And I, I think that is really cool. Okay, next was Confessions of a Casting Director with casting director Jen Rudin uh, and then uh, ba, 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 Baved, Baved Patel uh, was an actor she brought in. And that was all, it was talking all about how, um, mostly it was aimed at actors, uh, sort of talking about uh, how if you're an actor, what you need to do to get in good with the casting director and you know, how, how to be how to be an ally to the casting director. Uh, and it's really interesting talking a lot about, there's a lot of, one of the things when you go to different panels is, there's a lot of nuts and bolts you have to learn. And this was all about like the nuts and bolts of, of auditioning. Um, and Rachel is fascinated because even though Rachel really is into acting, um, she feels as a director, she wants to understand all the different facets of it. And so um, directors do do a lot of casting, so they work closely with the, especially in plays, they work closely with the casting director. So um, anyway, something that Rachel was interested in. It was, it was, it was a good panel. Uh, then uh, we saw an interview by Len Carew. 
is the guy who originally played Sweeney Todd. He's an actor. Um, and anyway, it was a cool interview. It really, uh, it's fun seeing the exploration of how something came to be. Um, it makes me realize why I enjoy so much doing all the behind-the-scenes stuff I do, how fascinating it is, and just, even, same with the Beetlejuice panel, just learning stories of this is how this came to be was really cool. Next up was the Blizzard Party Line. So this has a funny story. So this is the fifth uh, Broadway con. So the first Broadway con, so four years ago, there was a blizzard during the first Broadway con, and it shut down the city. And the problem was they had a lot of guests that couldn't get to the Broadway con. So what they did is they did a thing they called the Blizzard Party Line, where they called up stars that couldn't make it to Broadway Con and talked to them, um, you know, through Skype or whatever, or through video. Uh, and then the audience, you know, they, they would talk, the, the person, the, the people would interview them and the audience got a chance to see them. And now it's just become a tradition. It just became something Broadway Con does. And they call it the Blizzard Party Line after the blizzard. Um, and so anyway, they called a whole bunch of actors that for different reasons weren't there. Um, one of the people they called this time, Anthony Rapp, who uh, is from Rent, um, I think he's on Star Trek Discovery. Anyway, he he started this convention, and normally he's there, but he's working on Star Trek right now, and like uh, it shoots in I don't know Toronto or whatever. He couldn't get away because you can't fly with so much time of call times and stuff. But anyway, we, they, they called him up and talked to him, so it was fun. Um, that was followed by Broadway trivia. So Broadway trivia was bringing up audience members and quizzing them on Broadway and. The people that won, or the woman that won, really knew her Broadway. Uh, that was fun. And then there was a game show where they bring stars from Broadway mixed with some audience members, and they did a whole bunch of different games. They did, like, Pictionary, and they did, like, a uh, $25,000 uh, $25 pyramid thing. And they, anyway, they, did, uh, they didn't mean that tune. Um, and mostly, it was, like, an hour and a half. And it was just mostly entertaining. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, okay, then we get to Sunday. We left on Sunday, so we only got to see a couple things in the morning. So first thing we send is they did a Dear Evan Hansen interview with Jordan Fisher and Andrew Barth Feldman. Uh, that, um, it was the, uh, the last day. Basically, they were talking to two Evan Hansons, one whose last day was that night, and one whose first day was the following Tuesday. Mondays is when uh, the shows have off. Broadway doesn't have a Monday performance. That's the day off for the actors. Um, and anyway, it was just kind of talking about how each of them became Evan Hansen, what it's like, and um, it was very touching. It was very, um, once again, behind-the-scenes stuff is really cool, and it, it was neat. Um, one of the things that's fun about actors is that the actors get to be very focused on the part they're playing. And so, um, for those who don't know, Darren Evan Hansen is a very, very popular Broadway play, uh, about a boy, a, a, a teenage boy that things happen to. Uh, and um, anyway, it, it, it's become a much beloved play. And uh, I think there's been numerous different Evan Hansons. Uh, that the part keeps changing. but uh, And they keep finding new actors that can just do things a little differently. The newest one now is the first, you know, uh, um, uh, is the first Evan Hansen of color. Anyway, it's, it's, it was really neat listening to them talk and hearing about them. Uh, and the final thing we saw was called Stage as Screen. Uh, so David Alpert is a director, and he had two actresses, LaChance and Alex Gibson. Uh, and what they did is they did a scene where the actors... I mean, it was a scene from Town, which is another play. The actors had not seen the scene before because none of them had been in Town before. Um, and anyway, they did a scene, and during the course of the hour, you saw them first read, do the read-through and then slowly block it out. And um, all the time... Um, they were giving a lot of feedback, you know, um, 
that David Elper was talking about how to direct and notes about directing. And um, it was one of our favorite panels. Uh, Rachel and I really, really liked this panel. Um, it was just very, very hands-on. I mean, like, Rachel loves directing, so it was a very hands-on directing thing. So it was very cool. Anyway, that, my friends, that was, was BroadwayCon. So, um, uh, so tip, if, if anyone from BroadwayCon is actually listening to this, uh, you guys put on a good show. It was a lot of fun. Um, it's also fun doing some one-on-one time with my daughter uh, and sharing a passion that we both share. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this. I, I know I did this last year. Um, it's a little off the beaten track, but, you know, hey, I'm 700 plus in. Uh, I feel like I could do the occasional off the beaten track just to talk about things you haven't heard. Um, and if you're ever in Broadway, uh, go see Beetlejuice. I really, I really, really like Beetlejuice. Uh, or, or actually, I'd recommend if you're into Broadway musicals and you, and you have not listened to the album. The album's really good. Um, but anyway, um, that was my trip, um, Rachel, my trip to New York City. So anyway, I'm now uh, at work, so we all know that means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.